We wanted to see some sort of use of actually playing a game to get not just the fun of the game or the competition of the game, but to get a lesson out of it. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from the teachers, researchers, authors, and professionals who explore innovative learning, motivate new curricula, and encourage an inclusive and healthy classroom environment. Good Physics Day, everyone. Wouldn't you like to sit down and play a board game instead of going to class or planning a lesson? What if I told you that you could do both at the same time? Today, I'm speaking with James O'Brien, Interim Dean of the School of Arts and Sciences and an Associate Professor of Physics and Mathematics at Springfield College in Western Massachusetts. He graduated with a PhD in Physics from the University of Connecticut in 2010 and was a classmate of mine during our six years in stores. In fact, he was the first graduate student in my class to teach a lecture section of Physics at UConn, which inspired me to do the same. That was my first big step into classroom teaching, and I don't think I would have known it was even an option if James hadn't done it first. His research focuses on theoretical and computational astrophysics, cosmology, and gravity, and he serves as the vice president of the International Association of Relativistic Dynamics. His passion for teaching, which you'll easily pick up on throughout this conversation, has led him to pursue educational pedagogies through gamification of education. He's helped to design Sector Vector and Resistile, two competitive tabletop games which engage students in an exciting atmosphere to help facilitate learning of essential physics concepts. Today, we talk about these two games, gamification of education, and an innovative collaboration that brought physics and design students together. Let's jump right into the fun stuff. Uh, So first of all, welcome, James. Thank you so much for coming on this episode of Physics Alive to talk with me about your stuff. Thank you, Brad. Uh, this This is great for me because not only do I believe you know, highly in what you're doing. Um, but it's also a great chance for me to reconnect with you. So this is fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been fun. So while you were at Wentworth Institute of Technology, you teamed up with three other faculty members to create a board game called Sector Vector. Here's a description from the game's webpage, fourthlawlabs.com. Sector Vector is what we call a gamified lab kit. Designed for four to eight players, it delivers all of the lessons of a traditional vector module, but in a new, fun, and engaging way. Students will work together in a fast-paced, futuristic setting to calculate missile trajectories and ship movements in an effort to disable their opponents. Well, I could I could be your, your, your cover guy for reading this. Thing. This sounds good to me, yeah. As a board game-loving physicist, and I suspect there are many of us out there, uh, this really gets me excited. But to make this even more interesting, the end product, while awesome for the rest of us, might not even be the main story from your perspective. Uh, this was also a joint collaboration of the physics and industrial design departments at Wentworth. So uh, before we talk about the design and all that fun stuff, uh, can you give our listeners a quick description of the game? What's the objective? What does the flow of the gameplay look like? Yeah, sure. I, I can and I can go feel free to, you know, if you want me to take you back as far as far as you want. Um, so, yes, this was a joint venture. It started with me and a chemist by the name of Greg Sorokman. And uh, the, I'll give you a little bit of the history. The two of us went to a conference, a polytechnic summit. Uh, it was kind of a general open call conference. And one of the talks that was there was talking about how to gamify your class. And both of us, as you mentioned, happen to be gamers. And so we were super excited about seeing this talk. You know, what ideas were they going to have to gamify the class? And 
unfortunately, the talk really focused mostly around just really a conversion of the traditional grading system to a points-based system, right? So you'd have a top, you know, the top scorer and, you know, you know, beat the high score and, you know, put in, you know, some more effort, like you're putting in coins into a machine to play, that sort of thing. It was a good skeleton of an idea of, of how to change, you know, maybe the, 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 the environment of the class, but not necessarily gamifying anything physical. And so... Right, it's not actually playing a game in class. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, this is one of the beauties of that when I tell, you know, graduate students and, and you know, undergrads, this is really the beauty of conferences because we went into that talk expecting one thing and it was the complete opposite. However, it then sparked a conversation later on that said, well, if we're disappointed in this talk, what did we actually want to see from the talk, right? And mm. like, you, like you said, we wanted to see some sort of use of actually playing a game to get not just the fun of the game or the competition of the game, but to get a lesson out of it. And so that got the wheels turning and we came back to Wentworth and that's when we started thinking, okay, if what do we want to accomplish in a game? We want something that takes a very simple lesson, preferably one that is important, so you need to carry it with you for a long time, and specifically one that is traditionally accompanied with a pretty boring exercise, right? That way we can make something that's kind of low-key, we can make it memorable, which would help if you need to know this topic for a long time, and something that gives us the ability to be very tactile. We wanted it to be very hands-on. And so right away, our brains went to, you know, yeah, simple addition of vectors, decomposition of vectors, dot products, that sort of thing. And so that was where the idea came from. And so over many iterations, which literally started with um, plastic spaceships uh, uh, super glued to protractors and paper clips as missiles, we developed the idea of sector vector where, where you would be moving these ships around that operate via vector thrust, firing missiles back and forth via vector thrust. Um, so that way students are having to, in order to master the game, you really have to master the idea of how vectors add and subtract, how that thrust carries over from turn to turn in a, in a turn-based combat system. And then we had to build a shell of game rules around it to make it fun, but also preserve the lesson. And that's kind of really where the challenge was, Brad, was was how do you find that 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 balance between we need the lesson. That was first and foremost. That could not be sacrificed. But how do we then make it fun and memorable? And so after many iterations, we uh, th th this was the kind of sector vector uh, alpha phase. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely think about that. Like you was in a force table and thinking there's a sort of satisfaction as a physics instructor of seeing it work, but it's, I wouldn't call it necessarily memorable. And I don't even know what other what other options are out there for vectors. So to see something kind of come out there as a way to make it interesting and memorable, like that's, that's awesome. Uh, so you've got this chemistry colleague and you've got this idea and we're talking about the iteration process here, but uh, I know you, you ended up pairing up with the industrial design department 
at Wentworth. That's right. Um, what what happened there? How did how did that collaboration get going? And is that where a lot of the production for this game or or design around this game happened? You're you're exactly right. And so and so as an as a kind of an educational journey, this is to me one of the most remarkable uh, aspects of it. Right, is because the end product. What is it going to be? It's going to be this game, hopefully, to help us teach physics and make make physics a bit more exciting. But what wound up happening is is that the process of designing the game became its own educational experience because of this collaboration. And so uh, Wentworth Institute of Technology at that time was very much into the idea of interdisciplinary learning. So we were, you know, the, the school had a real big push to try to get as many interdisciplinary collaborations as possible. At that time, I happened to be very close with the department chair of industrial design. We had worked together on uh, changing the physics course that those students take, because they do take physics, they would typically take or traditionally take the algebra-based, you know, kind of college physics introductory sequence. And uh, we were really working to change it into what we now call studio physics. And the idea there was to make a Mythbusters physics, something that that industrial design students could, you know, make something and break something and understand why it is either made or broken. Uh, and so, you know, that was kind of a, we, we were already kind of uh, just past that and the success of creating this new class. And I said, hey, you know, I know you guys do all these design elements. We got this this idea and we showed him our our protractors, you know, with spaceships glued on them. And he looked at it and he laughed, of course, you know, as, as, a, as a designer. But he he identified right away. He said, you know, this is this is a great idea. And so. Within a day, he put us in contact with a brand new professor that they had just hired, a guy by the name of Derek Cassio. And Derek Cassio had just come off of a job um, with Hasbro. And so he was all about making toys and making games. And so Derek came into the room and he said, this is great. Teach me the physics. You know, I want to learn how to do this. And so um, we spent a day doing that. And then, and this, this is when you have the support of a school this is the magic that can happen, Brad, because that was this was right after Thanksgiving break. Schedules had already been set for the spring semester. By the next Monday, we had we had worked with the registrar to create uh, two sections of a senior level game design course that was also open to our physics students to make it their initiative to design and implement and you know work through the game both from the physics side and from the industrial design side and that course filled up and so that meant we had the entire spring semester to use the construction the design the iteration of this game as the syllabus now for these students both from physics engineering and industrial design that is freaking fantastic. Oh my, I, I'm just thinking about the enormous paperwork just to just to get a new course out there. But sometimes things can just sort of fly under the radar the first time you do it. And I always marvel sometimes at how quickly an institution can move. And yet, on another issue, how slowly it can move. Yes, yes. And, and you, I, you, know, you just I, have to find the right road where there's no roadblocks in the way and you can go. And I, I have to give a lot of credit to the support that we had at the time, right? I mean, it, you know... Because again, if there were silos between my department and industrial design, this would have never happened, right? Um, but there was support from above. The, the provost's big initiative was interdisciplinary and project-based learning. And so once the two of us went and said, hey, we have this idea, 
he said, go for it, you know, and, and we, we ran it as a special topics course. That course now, uh, Derek Cassio is still at Wentworth Institute of Technology, um, is now a regular staple of the industrial design uh, program for game design. You know, one of my one of my favorite things nowadays is talking to people in other departments. It's like, for the most part, I know what the physicists think. When you start talking to folks in other disciplines and you start talking about, well, what is it about physics that that you need in your discipline? Because, you know, not to toot our own horns, but we're needed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we tell us. I, I, I've seen that. I've seen that in physics of medicine. That, that's been my big passion project right now. And I've, I've fallen in love with the field of, of, of medicine and the physics of the human body is just so fascinating. And it's so easy to find topics to teach students. Uh, and, and here you made this, this collaboration happen with industrial design. And what an awesome course. And, and yeah, well, let's, let's keep talking about that. It's like, I, I want to hear more about how, how that went. So you have, these, you have these 11, 12, something like that students come into the room. They know no physics. I'm Correct. guessing, or maybe they had physics one. Did they have physics one? At this point, they had. It was it was really kind of rolling the dice. Um, we didn't restrict the course to seniors or anything like this. So there was some students that had physics. Um, there were some students on the physics side who were taking it concurrently, and there were some that that already had physics. So it was really a little bit of a mix. But uh, but on the design on the design side, very few of them had actually had physics at that point. All right. So so they come into the room and it's like here's here's kind of a prototype. Where do they go with that? Well, what happened in the class then? Well, that, that's and, and so to your point about talking with other departments, people from maybe a different uh, different skill set, different uh, you know mind space. That's where the magic happened because you know I I, I like to consider myself I I me, you know me and Greg had this creative idea right and we took it about as far as we could go as far as the the, the ships and 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 you know uh, paper clips and all this stuff these students looked at it as though it was a blank canvas and within within one hour you know they 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 do these ideation boards they call it right where they're they got these big flip charts and they're penciling stuff out you know and what they'll do is they'll get you know maybe an initial uh concept of the art but then they come back and they say okay this is you know it's not just the art and this is where the beauty of the design process comes in it's not just the art what do these functionally have to do and we're talking about okay they need to move around the table but they not okay so then they write down move along the table but they not only have to move along the table they have to be fairly heavy because you know you can't have a functioning physics vector game if every time you touch the table everything falls over right then it it wouldn't be worth playing and so it's this constant idea of okay a little bit of design tell us more of what you need a little bit of design tell us more you need full stop put it all in the blender do it again full stop put it in the blender do it again and and watching this process for me was totally amazing because you know it's not how we think necessarily as physicists but as time went on i realized that these students, these design students, are doing their own version of the scientific method, right? It's, mm. it's, it, you know, they 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 come up with a hypothesis, they test it, they test it, they test it until something fails. They go back, new hypothesis, test it, test it, test it until something fails. It's very similar, just you know, using whatever I, I'm not good with left or right side, but whatever that other side of the brain is that we use, they're doing that same scientific method. It was really wild to watch it happen. And I'm guessing there were physics students who ended up being the playtesters along the way. That's right. So, so uh, physics students had to actually interact 
with the the project itself. Make sure that you know the rules could be followed, namely the you know using vectors could actually be accomplished in the game, and then helping them you know talk about you know they they were the users, right? So it wasn't just the play testing of the skill set or, or the rule set. It was you know uh, industrial design focuses a lot on the user experience, right? You know the the quintessential uh, uh, example is the difference between a Macintosh and a PC, right? One of them has a one-button mouse, one has a two-button mouse. Why is that? Or iPhone versus some other type of phone, right? It's, you know, it's about the user experience. So, you know, it's not just about, okay, did the ship do what they wanted? But they would ask questions like, you know, as you were moving the ship, did it, did it feel right? You know, did it feel good when you moved the ship? When you placed the missile token down, did it feel right putting it on the table? All these little things that I would have I would have never thought about these physics students probably wouldn't have thought about they were all involved in that process which is how we wound up getting our fourth collaborator, Franz Rueckert, um, was that at the time I was transitioning to becoming department chair. So my teaching was a little bit more limited and we needed more students to be in contact with these industrial design students. And Franz was teaching a whole cohort of physics students. And he said, oh, this would be great. So he started bringing his classes in as well. Um, and so as the semester went on, the collaboration just got bigger and bigger and bigger, which was totally fantastic. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I've you know, I'm definitely going to encourage everybody go, you know, check out, go check out the, the webpage. Um, for, what was it again? Fourthlawlabs.com. That's right. Fourthlawlabs.com. Um, Fourth Law Labs was our, our, our clever name to come up with for the company, because as I'm sure, you know, Brad, you've seen me present it at, you know, previous conferences, the, the process or, or the, the, our, our ideas didn't just stop at sector vector. We then went on to make our second game, which was resistile, which we're now currently in the process of getting everything finalized in terms of patents, but we're also attempting to make that game digital so that you can play it uh, on your computer. Is it going to be on tabletopia or something like that? <laughs> Funny. You mentioned that. Um, it actually, it actually is on tabletopia. Except I'm not sure if we have it set to uh, where anybody from the public can play, but I'd be happy to provide you with a link where you can you can have all the assets on there on Tabletopia for Resistile. Yes. Oh, this is getting better and better. Oh my gosh. This uh, it, it shows how we had to adapt this, right? Because Resistile, you know, a sector vector can be purchased now, you know, from FourthLawLabs.com. And uh, we do have a coupon code, by the way, too. So if you go to if you go to the uh, if you go to the website um, and you use uh, uh, you use the, the password vector um, with a with a zero uh, for instead of an O, um, you can save twenty percent, which is very nice. Um, but you know, since Resistile is not ready yet, you know, remember it's not just a product that we sell; it's something that we use while we teach, mm -hmm. right? It, it's it's our mm -hmm. teaching tool. And so here we are in a pandemic, and we're remote, and our our circuit lab, instead of being traditional circuits, is resistile. So we had to integrate it into Tabletopia so that we can actually carry through the lab. Oh my gosh, oh, that's awesome! And for folks listening, there there can probably be this this image of it's like, okay, well, the first rendition you had, you know protractors with little plastic figures and, and missiles, you know, it couldn't have gotten that much better than that really. Right. But looking at the final project on, on the page, seeing it being played with the, with the instructional video that's, that's there is like this, this is a, this is a top-notch production. It's awesome. And I so look forward to trying it out. Oh, it's the, your copy is on the way. You know, you, may, maybe this is where you can cross over and do one of those unboxing videos. Absolutely going to do that now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never done one of those. I've always thought about it. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, th- I think you'd get a real kick out of it uh, simply because, you know, we, we are very proud of the finished product. And again, that's where those little those little questions that the industrial design students about how does it feel that that's where we came up with this, they came up with this idea of you know the the tape measure moving the ship itself right that way it's a little bit more hands off but it has this really nice rewarding feel when it's done but uh, the reason I joke about the unboxing video is that we were we were the students were very proud that we were making kind of this unorthodox game so it has this unorthodox shaped box you know it's not a square box it's it's got this really elegant design in the box um, and the box itself becomes part of the PlayStation when you play it on the lab on the lab table but because of that because all these nice things are incorporated in it, it is a little bit challenging to get it back into the box it's almost its own optimization problem <laughs> to get it back in <laughs> So th- there is instructions on the box as to how to reassemble, I promise you. So, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so let's talk gameplay. Sector Vector gets delivered to my school and I'm pumped up to bring it into my physics classroom. You know, we're, we're ready to do vectors. We just covered vectors. So what have you found to be the best approaches for play? Is this something that you, you fit into a, a class period? So the best, what we go for is we we want this to, no offense to, the, like you said about the force table, um, we see this as replacing that traditional vector lab. Okay, so that way it buys you some more time. Some schools do a two-hour lab. Some schools do a three-hour lab, right? Um, but what we've found is, you know, although, like you said, from a physicist's perspective, the force table can feel rewarding. From a student's perspective, they're really just doing, you know, another homework problem right there live and in the lab, right? Yep. So doing it in the lab allows for a couple of things. It allows you to really take the time to unbox it and, and, and go over with the students a scenario of how to play. It allows you to set up teams and it allows you to have time to get more than one game done. And so it creates a whole environment, right? And the idea is that if you got a two hour lab period, you should be able to get three full games in. The first game, obviously, people will play very hesitantly. Um, but if you're in a three, <laughs> if you're in a three-hour lab, you can get five games in. And the idea is to build the story. And that is, you know, you put your students together. They have to pick a team name, right? And then you can set up like an, a good old, you know, Final Four NCAA, you know, um, bracketed system. And what happens is, is that the students, they want to play, they want to win. It encourages peer learning because the stronger students in the group, when a, when a weaker student says, I think we should do this move. And then you look, see the other students say, no, 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 we're not going to do this because of X, Y, and Z. That's when the peer to peer learning happens. And they want to see which group is going to you know, come out on top here. You know, they want to be the group that, that comes out on top. And so even students that maybe have finished their last game will wind up sticking around in the lab simply to watch. Brad, if we accomplish that in physics <laughs> where, where they don't want to leave, I think we've done a great thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When, when often the attitude is, am I done? Can I leave? It's like, oh yeah, I left after an hour and it's a three hour lab period. I tell this anecdote, you know, because obviously we have formal, uh, you know, formal things written up about both sector vector and resist island as far as the learning gains go. But uh, a piece of soft evidence was that the, the, the first time that we were going to deploy it as, you know, we talked it up, we were going to play this game to learn, you know, um, it happened to snow that day. 
And so the 8 a.m. classes were canceled, but the 10 a.m. classes were not canceled. And so the 10 a.m., every single student showed up, which, you know, when, when the morning classes are canceled, but you have a delayed opening, you never know how it's going to go. The 10 a.m., every, every single student of them showed up, and half of the 8 a.m. class came because they wanted to play this game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So, you know, that was a feeling that I'd never had before. And this was just the start. It only got better from there. Oh, that's amazing. So is this something you would recommend you would have multiple copies in the classroom? So we, we've designed it so that uh, that eight players can play on a single copy. So it's it depends on how... Uh, you know, ha- you, uh, so I should say up to eight players. You could o- always have less if you'd like, but we designed it for eight players mm-hmm. on a single copy. So depending on how big your lab sections are, you know, typically three or four would accommodate, a, a, you know, one lab setting. Um, the games are very rugged and durable and pack up and, you know, they store nice and easy that you can get, you know, eight or 10 of them in your lab shelf that, that'll take up the room of only one force table. So it's, it's economical in that sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 when you go and you look at the price, you think, well, it's it's more expensive than getting like a thirty dollar board game that you you put on your table at home. But but then all of a sudden you you compare it to it's like I'm going to buy a new piece of equipment from Vernier, and like already you're going to drop a hundred dollars to get one one probe. So here, you know, spending a few hundred to get three or four of these game kits, you know, I think. That is that is educational money, very well spent. That's the price point that we were looking at. You know, we, you know, when we kind of mapped it out versus you know the personal investment into into mass producing it, um, you know, versus we want to get it in people's hands. Um, yeah, the idea was that you know for for anywhere between five to seven hundred dollars, uh, you can have your entire lab outfitted for you know a good three to four years, um, and that, we think that's that's a pretty good return on investment. All right. Magic question. Graded or ungraded? So this is this is a challenging question. We provide in the you know, with the lab kit, we provide our recommendations based on our findings. Um, I will say that, you know, the community of people that have been using Sector Vector is growing and people have written to us and said, well, you know, we wound up going with this schema for grading that sort of thing some people don't use it as graded at all some people don't even use it in the lab some people use it um, for things like a physics club or they give it to the mm-hmm. tutor they give it to the tutors for when students have extra help they say well let's play this game um, and there's been some good uh, good work showing that that has benefit we provide some guidelines that we do recommend a grading system. And reason for that is because you want the students to take the game serious because if they're taking the great, the game serious, they'll engage with it and then they'll engage with more vectors, right? And so the grading system sounds weird the first time that you hear it. Um, but now that you know that background, it might make some more sense that you know you get X amount of points for a win, X amount of points for a loss, but you get the minimum amount of points for a draw. And this Hmm. is because we are, you know, you can have a scenario where students will just get clever and move their ships back and forth and never hit one another, but we want them to play to either win or lose. And so we give more points for a loss than than a win because the more they're playing, the more vector calculations they're doing. So kind of to go back to what we were saying before, I mean, it's, it's already a win that, students want to stay in the lab classroom longer that they'll come in even though their class was canceled on a snow day. Uh, But education research loves some good quantification. Yeah. Uh, We wouldn't want to see our students taking a backward step, for instance. (laughs) Of course. I know you did some pre and post testing for this game. What did you find? 
So we did some pre and post testing, and we wanted to make sure, again, that, that we weren't just giving them a fun experience. It was an experience that was actually beneficial. Um, and we found that retention of the vector material in both so so first first and pre and post um, we found that if you compare it to using for the control group our force table lab or equivalently we did this other lab on vectors which was you give them a giant map and a bunch of vectors to draw out and they have to do resultants and stuff like this um, if you compare that to the control group we were getting a significant increase in the pre and post of people playing sector vector we then later did some uh, some tests you know at the beginning of the semester and end of semester versus groups that played sector vector and ones that didn't to try to map long-term retention. And again, it was overwhelming in sector vectors favor. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they are quoted in some of those ASEE papers that, uh, that we reference on the website. The, the learning objectives were definitely being hit. Um, and we were also able to use it in kind of cunning little ways, you know, in the classroom because you know when a memorable moment would happen in the game like for example the game has a board and if you fly off the board you automatically lose right and <laughs> so uh you know it, it wentworth has had small class sizes and so you know it became memorable when a team flew off the board that sort of thing and so you know <laughs> So as, as you're going on in the semester and maybe you're in a different topic like conservation of momentum or something and a student makes a, a, a mistake because they forget that, you know, after the, after the basketball hits someone's chest, it goes back the other way. Um, you know, we say, oh, you know, you're flying off the table again. And right away they, they say, I got it. You know, um, it creates kind of all these little, mm -hmm. these little memorable moments that you can reference. The, the learning gains that we were able to show, I think, as far as, you know, some of the typical numbers that you see in physics education research were assuring because, you know, sometimes there are some studies that get you into this zone where it shows benefit, but maybe not as much as you want. Whereas this experience, whether it's because it's engaging or because it's disguising the learning as fun, it definitely has some appreciable, uh, appreciable um, gains. And, you know, although it's not there yet for mass market, Resistile almost doubled that in as far as sector vector, oh, which is which was really wow, great. OK, nice. I'm definitely going to put a, a link in my show notes to not just your uh, the game's website, but uh, also to some of these papers that you've referenced. So people can go and check that out uh, if they want. Yeah. And this is one of these where it's like, yeah, we want to make sure there is some kind of gain. But you know what? I think I feel like in a case like this, if we're not actually causing losses over the regular way of doing things. We're gaining so much more in the fact that it's this memorable experience. It's making physics fun. It becomes something that they think back on and, and maybe that's one of the top moments they remember. So so there's there's something there's something there that will will always stick with them. And I, I think you know that that's a big key of of physics education, of, of any teaching. Just be memorable, have the students have a good taste in their mouth for that subject so that maybe later down the line, they'll want to learn a little bit more about something when it comes up in the news or, or who knows where. I, I think so. And, you know, it's it's interesting because not not every student is a board gamer. You know, we talked about how, uh, you know, oh, there's probably a good number of physics professors who are board gamers, but not every student is. And so it's not like this is, you know, it's not like this is a medium that's going to instantly draw everybody in. But, you know, physics is something that comes, you know this, it comes with a, a, a lot of stigmas. People are afraid of it. People think, oh, I'm not a math person. I'm not a science person. They're, they're afraid of, 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 of engaging with this subject. And so 
even if you're not a board gamer, you come in and you see this bright and colorful thing on the on the lab desk, and you say, okay, this this can be a little bit of fun. It's those little moments that that I think create little access points. That okay, maybe it's not going to. You know, I don't think sector vector is going to convert anybody to become a physics major, but that's okay. It's an access point that maybe they were more apprehensive. Uh, before they came came in that day, and hopefully that day is forever changed the way they view physics. Well, yeah, and with with this lab possibly coming a bit earlier in the semester, you know, I think that's that could be great timing. Um, so, is this something where obviously we're not going to take twelve labs and replace them with twelve board games? Is it something you could see maybe more than once per semester, maybe two or three times? Well, if you ask me, could we replace twelve labs with twelve board games? I guess that's what Fourth Law Labs is slowly working on, right? Um, <laughs> But what I can say is that Sector Vector, um, and you can see this in the design, Sector Vector was meant to be adaptable for more than just the one lesson, okay? Um, so in the design, if you look at the website, um, there's the main board, which is this circular thing based around this centralized disk, okay? And the centralized disk is removable. This is not just a simple de design element. This is meant so that you can replace that with something like a planet and have a lesson on gravitation and orbits. Um, we have different locations set around the map in Sector Vector um, where we were going to place objects like beacons that you can then, you know, kind of either land on or bounce off so that we can do things like conservation and momentum. So the idea is, is that we have modules that can be added onto the game to kind of use that same environment and do more than one lesson as the semester progresses. But then there is that balance, like you said, Brad, is that, you know, it's kind of already a big ask to make physics instructors, you know, believe in a game to learn, but then it's an even bigger ask to say, well, give us three labs. You know, people get a little bit apprehensive on that. So, so, some of those more advanced rule sets are not included in the core package just because we didn't want to overwhelm people. Um, you know, uh, it's, 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 you're probably familiar with this as well. It's like any other venture in physics education research. You can have a great idea, but it's, it's really getting the buy-in from the community that, that is really one of the big steps is taking a chance and trying to use this new technique or, in this case, this new lab. If I'm doing my job well with this podcast, every single episode should hopefully make some physics teachers feel apprehensive somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And hopefully we'll inspire uh, many to try some new things. So uh, these games or, or lab kits, as you're calling them, um, are an example of gamification of education or gamification of learning. So on the surface, I feel like I have a sense of what that means, but I know there's, for instance, books out there about it. So I'm sure there is a lot more to it than I can imagine. What have you learned about gamification and its place in our classrooms? Yeah, I've learned that it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very broad term. You know, going back to this story as to what inspired us to create this project, um, you know, that was considered gamification, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so I, I find that it's a, it's a very broad term. And since we've kind of been in this in this business now for a little while, when we go to conferences, we get confronted with the broadness of that term quite often. Um, and so, to us, you know, we 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 kind of take it at its you know at its more uh, its more root definition, right? To be a game means that there's some sort of game, right? So, and you know, 
sticking with the idea that physics has some tangible piece for us we like to live in that space of it being a hands-on gaming experience that you can learn from as opposed to some learning environment that we made look like a game but i think technically speaking all those would fall under this broad umbrella hmm. term of gamification i don't know why i hate jeopardy games in the classroom i don't know if that counts <laughs> as one of them i just I just can't do it. There's just certain things that just feel gimmicky to me. I'm like, no, I don't want gimmicks. I just want to, like, I want to do this for real, <laughs> not not put a little shading, a little candy coating on on our physics. It's like, no, I want there, I want it to be fun, but it's real while it's being fun. That's right. That's right. And I I think that I think that's what our field is is lacking, right? You know, there there, there are there are certain ways that you know I've seen people gamify certain biology things by you know. You know, by, by when you're looking at certain systems and, you know, you have to make this design, but then it turns out to look like a cell and stuff like this. There's certain ways you can do that. But I feel like our field is missing that thing that's not a gimmick, right? And that was one of the things that we wanted to do. We wanted to take a shot and say, can we actually, because at the end of the day, what would have been the worst case scenario? At the end of the day, well, maybe we designed a game that didn't teach anything, but we had fun along the way, you know, learning about the game making process. But it turns out that you can actually retain a lesson and make it make it fun. It really can happen. I'm sorry for those of you who like to play Jeopardy in the classroom. I did not mean to vilify it so much. Uh, I have used it once or twice before, and it can be fun. So I'll give it some credit. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to throw those poor people under the bus. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> don't want to make you apprehensive about listening to another episode. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, to, to, I would say even to, even to those even to people using Jeopardy or any one of these kind of more traditional gamifications, right? It's still a step in the right direction, right? It's still it's still doing something outside of just the tra- traditional. You know, let's lecture, do some problems, lecture, do some problems. Do you have any new projects or games in development that you're can tell us about so resistile uh we're we're very proud of but that one like i said we have to get to market um because the 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 big difference between resistile and sector vector is that resistile uh plays in about 10 minutes tops so it's a very quick play um which means that again in a two-hour setting you can fit in you know upwards of you know eight to ten games um which is really really great Uh, so the rule set is very streamlined um and so that that one we obviously got to get to market. Um, we're working on one right now that's outside of physics. That's for organic chemistry, um, Ooh, okay. which is which is pretty. You know, it's a little bit it's a little bit of a different market because organic chemistry. There's not a lot of people who actually take it, right? You know, usually people stop at the Gen Chem one, Gen Chem two. Um, and the other one that we're currently working on, which I think is a bit closer. You know, a lot of the ideas are fleshed out and um, is on. You know, if we're kind of coming back to our roots of sector vector being this seminal lesson in physics about vectors, resistile being this seminal lecture in, you know, in electricity and magnetism about circuits, um, is another chemistry-based game about stoichiometry, right? You can't get far in chemistry without stoichiometry, and people just typically think it's the most boring thing in the world. Um, But we have some clever ideas there that borrow from some of our, you know, some of our favorite board games that uh, that you can get into there and, and have an actual stoichiometry lesson. So are there some other physics-based or physics-themed games out there that that are some of your personal favorites? So as far as lessons go or as far as like just the theme of playing a physics game? 
Yeah, let's say both. Either or. <laughs> so as far as lessons go, I think we're the only ones who do it You know, as far as uh, physics, at least in the board game realm. Um, obviously, if you extend it to the, to the video game realm, I mean, things like Kerbal Space Program is just unbelievably amazing. You know, <clears throat> or or you know, uh, universe sandbox. But as far as themes go, I love I love uh, space based board games. Uh, my 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 board game catalog in my nerd cave down here is quite extensive. Um, I personally love a game called Quantum. That sounds like it's a different part of physics, but it's a really fantastic, simple rule set, uh, space-based board game. Battlestar Galactica, I think, is just a gem of a board game. And there's 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 quite a few others. Uh, anything from the Tiny Epic series, so Tiny Epic Galaxies, uh, it's just just it's a really really great game. Um, and I play those all the time. Like I said, uh, I'll I'll put up on the the show notes uh, the 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 game webpage, uh, some of the other papers that, um, that you have mentioned along the way. Are there any other places on, on the interwebs where folks can find you or any social media where we might look for you? Yeah. Instagram, fourth law labs. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, I, but Instagram is probably the one most to check. Um, Derek Cassio, our designer, uh, monitors our Instagram and Facebook and, you know, the right from the fourth law labs website, if you reach out to, you know, the, the main website there, it actually hits all four of the designers. So if there's any questions, it'll get sent to all of us. And, you know, one of us will reply within a day. James, thank you so much for coming on this episode. This has been this has been a lot of fun. It's been so fun learning about the process of developing this game and and how it gets used. And I don't know, I I just love kind of getting the inside story. Well, thanks, Brad. I, I I really do appreciate you know not only having the chance to reconnect with you, but also trying to you know give give voice to the game and give voice to our company and kind of give voice to the message that you know that that there are some people trying some different things and you know this might not be the right product for everybody, but for anybody who's looking for something, especially when we come back face to face after COVID, looking for a new way to to uh, you know to challenge and engage students. The price point is nice and low, so you really got nothing to lose. Oh man, I am so geared up to play Sector Vector now. Plus, I'm totally going to make an unboxing video. Funny thing about that though, as I was recording the YouTube channel of my next guest, who I've already finished recording with, I saw that he made an unboxing video for Sector Vector last year. Oi, oi, oi. Small world sometimes. Now, the only thing I need is the game. As of the release date of this episode, Sector Vector still hasn't landed on my doorstep. Holiday shipping delays. Patience, Bradley, patience. You waited eight years to get the handpan. You can wait a few weeks to get this game. Speaking of the handpan, that's the instrument I play for my theme music. It arrived on my doorstep mid-October 2020, a few weeks before I released my first episode of Physics Alive. I came up with the theme music in about half an hour and recorded it soon after. I finally got around to doing another recording now that I've been practicing for two months. The updated recording will replace the old one soon. Maybe you'll notice. Eh, maybe you won't. Plus, I made a video of me playing the intro. In case you're curious, what is this instrument? What does it look like? You can check it out on youtube.com slash channel. I've put a link to the video in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you want to check out the 4th Law Labs website, get more info about the game, and read the conference papers that James discussed, you can see all of that at physicsalive.com slash vector. If you decide to order a game, don't forget the coupon code vector, replacing the O with a zero. You can find me at Physics Alive on Instagram or, more regularly, on Twitter. You could also check out the Facebook Physics Alive page or YouTube Physics Alive channel. 
My talks for the winter 2021 AAPT meeting are already posted there, and one of those talks is all about this podcast. When Sector Vector arrives, I'll post my unboxing video there as well. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating. It takes just a few seconds, but it will help future listeners find the show. Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired to try something new. Your homework assignment? Check out Fourth Law Labs and watch the demo video about the game. Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then, keep it fun and be well.